morning, church. Good morning. I am so impressed, actually, to see people in the room. Uh, so thank you. I don't know if, if uh, you are, are brave or stupid, but <laughs> I'm glad that you're here. I, I'm just joking, just joking, just joking. I'm so glad that you're here. Wow. Uh, but for those that are watching at home, I need you to do me a favor, please. Will you please take a selfie of yourself and me on the television, you watching church. And if there's an angle that you can get both the snow and the TV and your family watching, I just think that would be incredible. I would love for you to post that, maybe check in at the Exchange Church. You can be one of our many hundreds of campuses all throughout the area this morning. But I would love to see that. So please uh, take a photo and then tag the church, tag me, whatever. I think that's awesome. And while you're up and around trying to get your selfies done, go ahead and run to the kitchen, grab some crackers and some juice. We're going to receive communion during my sermon today. Um, it can be bread, it can be goldfish, it can be cake from leftover last night dinner, it doesn't matter, get anything, and grab yourself some water or Kool-Aid or juice, whatever you have, uh, we're going to receive communion together in just a few moments, and I want to make sure that you have that prepared and ready. Today is day seven of our 21-day fasting and praying, yeah? Uh, how many would say it's going pretty good? Not as fast as you would like, anyone? Um, <clears throat> it's been fun. My family's all been doing this. We've been encouraging one another, and uh, this is day seven. And so I'm looking forward just to seeing over the next, you know, the next 14 days what the Lord is going to do in our heart and in our life. If you um, haven't yet started fasting and want to jump on board, it's not too late. We're going to talk a little bit a little bit about fasting today uh, and all that I want to say to you uh, today. Today, um, there's so much that I want to do, honestly, because there's just so much going on in our world and in our nation. And I want to address fasting, which I think has huge implications, actually, um, for what's going on in our world so we have a lot to chat about, and I'm going to try to funnel it all within, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, so we can get you back home and playing in the snow. I want to take you to our text. It is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> this is a block of text where uh, Jesus is fasting. And if we're going to fast to be like Jesus... If we're going to fast to be with Jesus, it would be well if we see what Jesus accomplished in his fasting, what he went through in his fasting. And that's what we're reading today, the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. Everybody say nothing. He ate nothing. And afterward, everyone say afterward. When they had ended, he was hungry. So for 40 days, he ate nothing. And scripture tells us he actually wasn't hungry until the end of the fast, the end of the 40 days. Now, I'll take a quick break because this is super cool because science confirms that this is what happens physiologically when we fast. There is the hunger hormone I didn't put this in my notes. It's just off the top of my head from what I recall. So you can 
fact check me if you want, but I believe that ghrelin is the hunger hormone and ghrelin rises and falls at normal dinner time. So in, at 9 a.m. in the morning, ghrelin is the highest. The hunger hormone is the highest. Then it comes back around, around 1 p.m., 12.30, 1 p.m., and then again at dinner time. Now, if you're fasting, like I've, I've done multiple times throughout the last couple of months uh, in preparation for this 21-day fast, I've done only water fast. Um, by the way, I'm sharing that with you to help you understand how fasting works, not to brag that I've been doing water fasting. Um, you can go to Matthew chapter 6 to learn more about how you should act when you're fasting. You don't let the whole world know that you're fasting, right? You don't put on a sour patch kid face and act like you're dying from fasting. You don't put posts daily on how miserable you are, right? That's not, that's not what fasting is, but I'm telling you that I fasted so that you can learn from my experience. Um, and in the, the ghrelin cycle here, Day one, it's pretty strong. Day two, it's really strong because your body is wondering, what are you doing? Why, where's the food? I, the water's good, but give me bread. Uh, by day three, though, the ghrelin starts to minimize, and it still peaks at those times, but not as much. Uh, day three on, ghrelin pretty much disappears, and your body goes, uh, is fine going without food. Um, for a long period of time. Now, if you study intermittent fasting as a, a means of, I don't know, getting healthy, not necessarily spirituality, but getting healthy, science will tell you that you can go days and even weeks without eating food, but there will come a point when your body tells you it's time to eat again. You won't be hungry for weeks on end, and then ghrelin will let you know it's time to eat. So at 40 days, they found, is typically the moment where ghrelin kicks back in and says, yo, it's time to eat again. Now that's exciting to me because we just read a verse in the Bible about Jesus who was fasting for 40 days. He wasn't hungry, but then at the end, he was hungry. Is that cool to you? Science is confirming what we see Jesus doing in his fasting, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, here's where the temptations begin. If you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. Now, I don't know if you've ever fasted food for any extended period of time, but at some point, you know, the, the, the pole right here can start to look like a banana, you know. The devil says, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it will be yours. So Satan is presenting an option, two options to Jesus. You can worship me and have all of this, or you cannot worship me and have none of it. Do you see the two options that the enemy is trying to put before the, before the Lord? Verse 8, Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. Now he's using the Lord's own words to try to confuse the Lord. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone, Satan said. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Father, I come before you today. God, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for what you are going to reveal to us through your word. Father, I ask, God, I ask that you would just allow our hearts to hear from you today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us, not to our neighbor, not to our spouse, not to our kids, not to the other political party, to us. What would you say to us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Here we see that Jesus is fasting and he gets tempted by the devil He passes every temptation, and in that temptation, we see the devil presenting a A or B option, right? I don't know. We could call it duality, right? You can choose A or you can choose B. And over and over, Jesus says there aren't just two options on the table. There's a third option, and that is I can rest in my word, and I can rest in what I know to be true, The option isn't serve Satan and I get all of this or don't serve Satan and I get nothing. Those weren't the two options that Jesus were concerned about. Do you hear me? There was a third option that the enemy did not present to Jesus in that moment. Now, many of us are fasting and I will tell you, um, that for me, when I'm fasting, there is, it's almost as if I step underneath an open heaven, though I believe that um, the windows of heaven are open 24-7. I don't have to do anything to earn an open window of heaven. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. But there is something about fasting. When I teach myself to say no, I also teach myself to say yes to the right things, to the God things in my life. So really, I'm just in training. We're all just in training during these 21 days. We're just teaching ourselves to say no. But in trying to teach ourselves to say no, even still, if we're not careful, we look at two options. Yes and no. So what I don't want to happen in your fasting time is for the enemy to sneak in using God's own word, trying to convince you that there are only two options. Now, you're going to see this play out, or you have seen this played out this past week in culture in a big way. Now, I know that on, if you're my social media friend, I've not addressed what is going on this week on, in a post. I haven't done it. I've continued to point people to Jesus. I, I feel that's what the Lord has me to do in this season. Um, I've had seasons where I say things very quickly. And the Lord has taught me that sometimes 
uh, it is best if I not allow circumstances and culture to dictate the narrative that's flowing from my heart to my fingers, yeah. right? So don't mistake my silence for that I don't have an opinion or, I mean, if you know me, you know my heart is not against, I mean, my heart is against violence, right? If you know me. If, if you know me and you demand that I say something publicly, you care more about being right than about truth prevailing, right? So I'm just, I'm not addressing the climate of this week. I think we all can say Jesus is not happy with planet Earth, right? I saw a meme on Facebook, Jesus take the wheel. He ain't just about to take the wheel. He's about to take off his flip-flop and whip some of us, right? But here's what I want us to notice. Let's compare the story of Jesus fasting to what happened in Genesis 3 and 4 in the Garden of Eden. There were two trees. Is it all right if I do a little bit of Christian philosophy this morning? I'm about to strip the devil of one of his tactics. In the garden, there were two trees that we know by name that God created. One of them is the tree of life. Tree of life. And the other is knowledge of good and evil. The tree of knowledge. Knowledge. You know, it's funny, the word knowledge, I never know if there's a D. That's an awful word to not know, knowledge. Ah. Tree of knowledge of, what is it? Good and evil. Check this out. Everything in the garden was a yes. Everything in the garden was a yes. There was only one no. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. You, you could eat from the tree of life. You can eat from the peach tree. You can eat, fr eat from the pomegranate tree. You can eat from the grapevines. You can take a swim in the stream. You can go fishing on the lake. You can uh, jump off the waterfall. You can play with the giraffes if you want. You can go uh, play tic-tac-toe with the tigers. Like everything in the garden was a yes, but there was one no. It was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we know from Scripture that the tree of knowledge from good and evil, Jesus, sorry, God said, if you eat of it, you will surely die. If you eat of this tree, the only know, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Why? Because its roots are death. And what did they do? They ate. From the one thing, you, you have any kids that you said, the one thing I told you not to do, and you did it. Adam and Eve ate from the one tree, the one no that God said, don't eat from this tree. And as a result, as we know, sin and death entered into the world. If you eat of this tree, you are surely going to die. And, and we see at the end of, I believe, chapter 3, 
where God sends them out to go and they're going to have to now work the land because they couldn't live in the garden. They have to work the land and he places angels to cover what tree? The tree of life. I could show you. Let's just make sure my memory serves me correctly. Genesis 3. Yeah, Genesis 3, verse 24. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim, that's angels, at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So the one tree that they could consume because they didn't consume, now they can't consume. You follow me? So there are angels that are guarding the way. Did you know that we gained access back to the garden and back to the tree of life through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on Calvary. It wasn't just for your salvation. It wasn't just for your healing. It's so that you and I have access to the garden. It is safe, my friends, to go back into the garden and eat from the tree of life. But here's what culture will convince you. They will convince you that we still only have access to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The enemy's goal, hear me, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to hear this because I'm, I'm telling you, I've read the book. I, I know what's happening in our world. I'm not surprised by any of it. I see more Christian persecution coming our way, but I see greater revival coming our way too. And it takes a believer to understand this principle if you're going to walk in revival rather than walk in fear. All right? When we... Look at the tree of good and evil. You know what we Christians like to do? There's two tracks. I just call them vines, I suppose. One of them is good, one of them is evil. You remember when a political upheaval just started in 2020? It was going on, oh, this is good versus evil. Do you remember that? Good, right? Do you remember? This is not left versus right. This is good versus evil. And I, I, I suppose that's all good. And the problem is, who's good and who's evil? Because what ends up happening is anyone that agrees with you is good, and anyone that disagrees with you is evil. And we bought into the lie that it was a good and evil issue. Even if you're on the good vine... The roots lead to death. And so culture wants us to be good versus bad, left versus right, male versus female, Democrat versus Republican, rich versus poor, white versus black, this versus that. Do you see over and over you have been conditioned over the last 12 months at least very, very strongly to buy into the lie that you have to choose a side of good and evil. No one's told you that it leads to death. But God did. There's a third option, friends. Did you know that the Ten Commandments are even on the tree of knowledge of good and evil? 
And I highly esteem and regard the Ten Commandments. But we couldn't even keep those right. Even the Ten Commandments led to death. That's why Jesus came and had to tell the cherubims to step aside so that he could become the tree of life for you and I to once again not have to wrestle on good and evil and not have to determine what is good and evil, but instead let the world argue about this and let us feast on life. Satan wants to entice us to stay on this tree Because as long as we're on the tree of good and evil, you know what we're not encountering? The presence of God. The presence of God doesn't hang around the chaos. It invites the chaos to step into life, but it doesn't entertain it. I, I know a lot of good people I suppose I don't want you to walk away feeling as though I'm suggesting that there are no good causes to fight for. I believe that there are good causes to fight for, okay? I am saying that if we make the cause our purpose, we've lost our real purpose, which is Jesus. So as a result of being confused by this, we will see people fighting for a cause that's a good cause, but because they're not doing it from the shade of the tree of life, it's being fought in their own flesh, and people get hurt when you fight in your own flesh. Good people want to point out false prophets, right? They're wrong. They're bad. This is what's good. Point out bad eschatologies. That's wrong. That's bad. This is what is good. Motives are great, but again, you're stuck on, on this duality of good and bad, good and evil. And that's not what the Lord has called us to. The Lord hasn't called the church to fight over eschatology. The, the, the church, God hasn't called the church to fight over the gifts of the Spirit. Are you with me? There are certain things that we just... We let Jesus be Jesus to people in the way that he wants to be to them. It's all right that we don't have to control that. The thing that we hold on to is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is both man and fully God. And he came to this earth and he defeated every single thing that you and I could ever experience. He owned it. We thought that he was getting put in the grave, but he was really putting sin in the grave. You know, Jesus and sin went to the grave, but only one of them rose. Today, I want to receive communion. I'm going to ask our team to come up because I want to just spend a moment in worship as we close. Because I'll tell you what's going to get our culture, our world, our nation through this season. It's not being right. It's being surrendered. Did you hear me? It's not being right. It's being surrendered. It is the presence of God that's going to get you through this season. So when you came in today, you you got your communion, your little unleavened bread, wafer, and juice. 
today we're going to push everything off the table except communion. The bread that represents the body of Jesus that was completely beaten for you and I. Ripped to shreds, actually, so that you and I can claim healing physically, emotionally, spiritually in our body. So as we eat the bread, Father, we say thank you. We say thank you for sending Jesus. God, we know that this bread gives us access to complete healing. So God, if there's any, heal, any, any sickness in the room, any disease in the room, any sickness or disease watching online today, Father, as we receive communion, I, I ask that you would bring complete healing to our bodies in the name of Jesus. Church, let's receive the bread. Trey, what is, how do I get to the tree of life? How do I get off the tree of good and evil and onto the tree of life? It's simple, really. It's simple, just not easy. It's to allow the face of Jesus to shape our thoughts, our responses, our motives. It's to not be so concerned with good versus evil and instead just being hungry and thirsty for the presence of God. It's like this moment right now where we're looking at the blood and we're realizing that the blood of Jesus was shed so that you and I could be in right relationship with God, with a holy God. Is that crazy? Can you just imagine a holy God who desperately longs for relationship with us? The blood also is powerful enough to bring reconciliation to any human relationship as well. So as we receive communion, the juice today or Kool-Aid or milk from home, we're going to ask the Lord just to restore our relationship with him. If there's anything missing, anything lacking, if there's any distance between him and me, would he restore that? But also we're going to ask him to restore every relationship that we have laterally, horizontally not just vertical, vertically, but horizontally with our spouse, with our kids, with our neighbors. We're gonna ask him to do that. So Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that as we fix our eyes on the goodness of you, the goodness of God at work in our life, God, that we step into wholeness. We step into being fully alive and fully complete. God, we, we cannot make the tree of knowledge good enough. So God, we step into the tree of life. God, we thank you for sending Jesus, for the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin, that brings us back into alignment with him, that restores every relationship that we have. God, we just thank you for the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand to your feet with us and let's worship.
God is so good, amen? I just want to encourage you this week, continue to focus on the goodness of God. He is so faithful. Well, at this time, we're going to go ahead and, and dismiss so that you guys can all go slide around in the snow. However, um, we want to open up the altar for anyone that needs prayer. A few of our prayer team members are here to agree with you. We're going to do that. Um, and in addition to that, if you're watching online and you need prayer, please send a quick Facebook message right now to the Exchange Church. We have a team assembled ready to pray over every message that comes in. We're just going to cover you guys like crazy today. Be blessed. We love you. We'll see you next week.